now that we've uh, expressed all of our existential problems to the world or to each other, we can we can now focus on the conversation, which is going to be a little bit um, um, sporadic, not not unnormal, of course. Yeah, like, it's going to be a normal conversation for this podcast. <laughs> now we're going to be yes. a bit sporadic. No, we're going to be doing exactly what we usually do. <laughs> Right, as if we haven't planned. Unless we have a guest, we have no plan. Well, I mean, even with guests, we don't really have plans. We say, hey, let's have a chat. Okay. Mm. And then we chat. Yeah. So, so internet in schools is what the general theme of this is going to be about. And for me, this directly relates to the phone ban conversation we were discussing uh, earlier and I've discussed previously on the podcast and inside of the Discord about phone bans in schools and problematic phone use. Uh, and the way I would actually see it is less problematic phone use and problematic Internet use uh, because some people use their smartphones or they use their iPads or their laptops or their tablets or just any tech, really. Uh, and so... For me, as someone that has grown up partly with tech, partly without tech inside of school, I, I think the BlackBerry phone was like a thing when I was in primary school. What was I, year five? Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, the Nokia was the, the big one when you first start, the Nokia brick that everyone refers to. But it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a phone. Like, it was a phone, but it wasn't a phone. Hot take for you this morning. The Nokia is not a phone. It's okay. It's nothing, nothing groundbreaking when it comes to when you when you compare phones like the Nokia brick phone to the really old. All you can do is dial and call phones. All the Nokia had was like the snake game. Like that's all. And that right there is why it's fucking genius. <laughs> But I hated the game. <laughs> that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> every 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 time I played it, I'm like, this is so boring. This is so boring. <laughs> Which is why I always play football with a tennis ball because we weren't allowed to play football with a proper football because health and safety reasons. Um, yeah, I know. So all of our school shoes got scuffed because we ended up kicking the floor because the tennis was so small. Um, sometimes this is how bad it got. Sometimes the tennis ball broke because it was not been like designed for people kicking it and obviously when you tackle you squash the ball together and tennis balls are two halves so sometimes we had half a tennis ball and because we had no tennis ball so people th this is my primary school right this is how the primary school worked when i was there for sports we weren't allowed to use footballs so we used tennis balls because they were allowed to be used but people didn't buy tennis uh, tennis balls to play tennis so we had like we as as students as as children would buy tennis balls to take a tennis ball into school to use as a football, we would go outside of schools to try and find tennis balls in the grass and the hedges to use them at lunchtime and break time as footballs. And if one broke and no one had a tennis ball, you'd use half a tennis ball. So if you were to go to any of the people, like the sporty people in my year group at school, in their bags would be their books, their pens, and two or three tennis balls. <laughs> Because if a tennis ball went over the fence, you'd get another tennis ball out. <laughs> yeah. But welcome to my life at uh, primary school. Anyway. <laughs> like, How is a tennis ball safer than a football? I have no idea. When a tennis ball hits you in the face, it really yeah. hurts. It hurts more than a bloody football. Yes. And it's, easy, it's easier to miss it as well. Physics. Yeah. Football, bigger. Tennis ball, smaller. Six. So... Uh, I'm on top of that. Then sometimes we weren't allowed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Forget, forget internet in schools. Sometimes, <laughs> um, when when we weren't allowed to play football because it was it was too wet and it was unsafe, or there'd been like an incident about something at school, and the teacher goes, "Okay, we're not we're going to ban football in the playgrounds for however many weeks." Uh, we'd play something called throwball, right? It's not handball, which is like what you may think of, like European handball. It's similar though. So it's still using a tennis ball. We may, we came up with this game and we've, we used this game when we were at school. I have no idea if it's an actual thing, but it's basically football, but you can't throw anything, anything in the opponent's half. So essentially you're split into teams. And when you get the ball, you have to throw the ball into the goal 
on the other side, but you can't get past the halfway line. So essentially, you run to the halfway line and you throw it as hard as you physically can at the goal and everyone else is going to try and stop it. Yeah. That sounds so much safer. <laughs> so Sometimes we'd play with two or three tennis balls. So you'd have like one tennis ball being launched miles in the air at your goal, the other one being launched like directly because you're standing in front of the goal at your face. So you're like, I'm looking forward so I don't get hit by that ball. But I need to make sure the ball in the air doesn't smack me in the head. Um, so yeah, I, I loved that. That that It was a great game. Um, obviously, when loads of people had tennis balls, it got a little bit chaotic because, hey, kids, like seven tennis balls going at once is kind of like really hard to keep track of. Uh, so ball, like balls got thrown in face. And then as soon as like enough people got hurt, they let us play football again. Welcome to school, school in the early, early 2000s. <laughs> and that's why I used to hide behind the door. In my primary school, there was like a little corner behind the door, which leads out of the out into the playground. I was I just stayed in that corner. Didn't play any sport. Because there was a football going around all the time, and due to my sight, couldn't see it, so I always got hit. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I had two eyes at that time, but obviously I was, oh, I was always half deaf. So if there was something coming or someone shouting at me, I had no idea where the the noise, the what, anything was coming from. I would just duck. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as if I heard my name, I would duck. <laughs> Because I can't, I can't dodge it. I don't know where the thing's coming from, where they're shouting from. I'm like, I'm gonna be a ball and then stand up like a, a second or two later and see what happened. <laughs> um, yeah, I got bullied from it sometimes. They were like, "Oh, Danny, watch out!" So I duck because I have no idea what's going on, um, and everyone would laugh. I'm like, oh, "Okay, fine, whatever." Then I get tennis ball and throw it out. So, yeah. Um, anyway, back back to the topic of conversation. When it comes to phones in school or technology in school um i grew up as just expressed in school that didn't really have tech didn't use tech that much but when i got into secondary school so year seven year eight that's where i started playing on xbox and technology started really coming out uh i used the phone but i didn't really use it that much and it wasn't really until my master's degree that I used a phone the way people use a phone now mm. and use the internet the way they do now. So when I look at the internet in schools, I can't conceptualize what that looks like as a younger individual, which means I need to look at evidence, look at conversations, look at other teachers. But what I can do is look at learners and how learners typically learn from, from past experiences. And we know that conversation is where learning happens. Where best to have conversation than in person and online? Yeah. Which to me is really telling of this actually relates to a conversation going on in Discord at the moment, really telling about the politicians that are trying to push these policies. They don't really understand the benefits that technology could have. And I don't think they really understand the limitations that they're imposing on various different tools that could be used by technology. Yes, there are negative things. Yes, you could say as a conclusion, phones in the grand scheme of things are negative because they foster negative behaviors with social media. They are addictive. They can be distractions and all these other things. Yes, they are concluding lines. They are endpoints but how you get to that end point is important and that's where i think the discussion points inside of the articles get overlooked by politicians but i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this as having two kids that use tech yeah it's really interesting uh because i have a a fascinating conflict when it comes to tech and my kids because if i follow my my what i've grown up with the environment that i was in tech was seen as not necessarily bad but it is not the default thing to do you should go outside you should go do this you should go do that you shouldn't be on your phone all the time shouldn't be on the computer all the time shouldn't be on xyz etc etc shouldn't be doing any of that and at first that was my reaction and then i realized how full of shit i was because <laughs> i'm on technology all the time yes it's my job but I am on technology even when I'm not working 
So how can I go, no, you're not allowed, blah, 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 blah. So this this is one of the biggest irritations I have with a lot of these uh, scientists that talk about pedagogy versus andragogy. Pedagogy being how children learn, essentially. That's oversimplified, but essentially all you need to know, really, unless you're in the fields anyway. Uh, And andragogy is for adults, right? When I look at the comparison, they some people say, oh, children are mini adults, which I I don't like the, the segregation of children and adults. It's an age that, that doesn't really mimic someone's expertise because a child, a, a 15 year old child may have 10 years of experience in something and an adult mm. may have one year of experience in something. So that 15 year old child actually has high expertise in something the adult doesn't. Uh, so I, I find the pattern comparisons kind of irrelevant. When I hear adults and people in andragogy say, that's not what it was like when I was your age, or I didn't need that when I was at school. Yeah, that's when you were at school. If you're a 40-year-old person, when you were at school, these things didn't exist. So even if you wanted to, you couldn't use them. So if we look at what you're doing now, now that you have access to those things... You're using them. You're using them. And and it... Recently, with Aiden, he was talking about his, like, learning how he, he wants to make a menu for a thing that he wants to do when he's older, like, creating a, a restaurant of his own. And he was asking, and he was making this, like, menu. And he put something down at, like, a couple of pence. I'm like, hmm, that's cool. Um, But how are you going to make money? What do you mean? Well, you've got to make money in a business. You've got to make what's called a profit. Oh, do you know how much pepperoni is? No. Okay, go look it up. So he got his tablet and was looking it up. Oh, okay. And he was writing it down. And he was writing it. 16 pounds for a pizza. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. That's an expensive pizza. Have a look at what else it costs. And so it was nice to see him engaging in technology as an educational tool, not just as a distraction tool. Mm. And it it took him, he was quite shocked because as he looked at me, I was saying, go on your tablet, look it up. Go on your tablet, look it up. And he was just like, what? I don't have to know this from memory. Yeah. I was like, go look it up. Go on, have a look. <laughs> now he needs the search skills, which is annoying because they don't teach search skills until you're year nine, year 10. That, that 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 there is the irritation I have with the way it's uh, things are taught at school. So I was watching a video essay yesterday from Zoe B about historians and how they're uh, somewhere in America. I can't remember exactly what it was because I wasn't that interested in it. I was more interested in the actual learning science. But they're using this online video platform to teach kids. But it's basically watch the video and answer a worksheet question thing after the video you're like that's not learning that's not teaching they need to be exploring something that's Mm. just a lecture in a video format that (laughs) there's not doing anything that we're we're not already doing um and one of the points that she made in the video is that we need to be having conversations and people need to explore and discuss ideas critically and how do we do that if we're in a room with people that don't know use the internet because the internet contributes to that conversation. Yeah, it can be a distraction. But if you're interested in the conversation, it's no longer a distraction. It's a help. Mm. And it's interesting because as I, instead of just assuming that he's not looking, he's looking at things that he shouldn't be looking at, or he's just watching random stuff, he's actually watching educational videos on YouTube. And I've given him access to YouTube. And he's now looking and watching videos about a whole host of different things. I'm curious. When you say educational videos, what isn't an educational video? I knew that was coming because I heard it. I was like, well, 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 well. A video which is designed to teach, to show and share information. That's a load of shit. All videos are ed- all videos are educational videos in some way, shape, or form. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so working on the assumption that all videos can be educational, 
what videos would you suggest schools encourage or look to use? Because what schools are worried about is, oh, they're going to get distracted and go elsewhere. Obviously, if you're watching someone do like play a game, like uh, let's just watch this person play the game, that is educational for the game, but it's not goal directed towards the learning objectives or outcomes of the lesson inside of school. So how would you then direct if you want to direct students use of internet use in school would you i guess would be the first question well that's 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 a very multi-layered question it depends on the context of him am i an i am am i an educator teaching teacher slash or am i a parent because i treat them slightly differently why as a parent which I also don't like when I'm saying that immediately because I'm like, well, yeah, I am. Am I in a teaching environment or am I in a parental environment? Like, what is my focus for them? Okay, let's let's think about the pop for a second and jump into our little lexicon. What do you mean when you say teacher and teaching? Damn it. (laughs) So teaching, I think, is showing someone something which basically completely destroys everything I just said. <laughs> I love it. I need to put that in. I don't have that in. I have that in my head, but I do not have that in my lexicon. actual lexicon. So you put that one in. Yeah, this is something I struggled with when I was at, <clears throat> at uni comparing coaching and teaching because coaching is different from teaching. But why is it? They're both educating, but coaching and teaching are different. The way I conceptualize teaching is teaching is done by a teacher and a teacher has professional qualifications those professional qualifications uphold standards and are conformed in a specific environment typically a school so teaching for me is where a teacher educates in a formal environment which means that education which is what we're talking about can still happen outside of teaching, which I think holds true, which means parents can act like teachers, but parents are educators. Yeah. That's the way I would uh, express those terms. So jumping back into the the question, now that we've popped our lexicon, (laughs) we've done a bit of popping. Um, Yeah, jumping back in now, how would you or would you constrain confine the internet use video specifically inside of a lesson if you were to be a teacher and if you weren't to be a teacher as an educator what would you do i personally prefer this question as an educator because i don't like the constraints teachers have yeah that that's that was kind of my thing as an educator would i i don't know whether i would constrain it as such i wouldn't limit where my what i'm hearing from constrain it also depends on most of the time no unless they ask a specific question about a specific thing and and i'm like i don't know let's go find out and then maybe there is a like a directed behavior there but most of the time, I would, I would rather he explore things he enjoys and is interested in, than not ex- than do nothing or just watch a video of someone playing a game. Right. So, what what I found interesting there is I I have partly deliberately put you into a situation that I wanted you to go to. <laughs> I kind of set the I kind of set the question up to be like I wonder if he goes down here, uh, and you did. the The way that I see the answer to this question, which is why I asked the question in the first place, is it comes down to practice design and representative practice. I'm glad you went the way you did because representative practice typically is done inside of sport. Like kicking a ball against a wall is not that representative of passing in a football match to use a, a popular sport. When we look at classroom settings, it's very difficult to say, oh, that's representative practice or not. When we look at education and education in real world settings, how do we actually learn in our own time? 
representative practice doesn't have constraints. No. Because we're not constrained by the internet. So the school adds constraints, which mm. reduces the representativeness of the mm. education and the learning. So if we look at it from an educator's perspective, forgetting teachers for a second, okay, so how do we then constrain these individuals to learn something? Well, now we're looking at representative practice. First, do they need to be constrained? Is the excuse me, is the difficulty of the environment, the relationship between them and the environment too much for them to manage? Desirable difficulty is then a concept that we would use, something we use in representative practice design. If it is, then we add a constraint, something from constraints-led approach of coach to coaching. If it isn't, then we would look at affordances. We look at attunement of affordances. We can look at expertise of their ability to focus or attune to affordances. All of these terms coming from sports coaching and a constraints-led approach applied to using technology in school. So if they have the internet, that's a vast, vast mm. place for them to explore. If they have too much information, they have too many questions, they have no idea where to start, or they don't know what the point is, then you would constrain the environment as the educator in either directing them at a question, directing them at a problem, or constraining the tools that they have to start with, maybe constraining the time they have, constraining the output. So saying, you're going to make a five minute video, you're going to write a, a thousand words about this, you're going to answer four questions, you're going to talk to that person. Add a constraint to the task environment. Mm. So the practice design, the individual now has to try and find a solution to that. Well, if you've got 10 minutes to do something, there are two constraints. You've got to do something and you've got 10 minutes. Well, now watching this game is not going to get me to the goal. Mm. So they can't now do what well, they still have the opportunity to do that. So the affordance is still there, but it doesn't align with the goal directed behavior, the representative practice of actually getting to the objective in traditional teaching senses, the learning objective. Mm. That's the way I would articulate how to use the internet in schools. It's not saying you can't use phones. You can't use the internet. Set them a task, set them a challenge, create a, an, an environment for students that can use the tools and use the tools to help them get there if it actually helps. If they realize they've been on the internet for half an hour, they've got 10 minutes left of the lesson, they've got to get something done. They've got to go, you know what? I just got to write something. Mm. <laughs> and, and they've learned that, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done all of these other searches on the internet to try and find the solution so now in the next lesson they realize actually i don't want to do all the searching because in the last lesson i didn't have enough time to finish it now they're learning healthy internet use through mm. school which is obviously a lifelong skill that's my view on it yeah i agree do, do you have any questions about that or is there anything that comes up limitations about that approach none that are mine none none that are like not a built from preconceived notions which i recognize go on because obviously so, this conversation is about airing them and i yeah, don't want to be so like... it's literally obviously the the my previous experience of the internet of like oh shouldn't do this shouldn't do that over protection trying to make sure that they're doing the right thing which isn't a thing <laughs> <laughs> which i know and so it's it's interesting, especially with the difference between the two, whereas Aaron is just watching stuff. Mm. And so it's really interesting, the difference, whereas Aiden is traditionally learning stuff. If we look at it like that, she is not learning stuff, except she is learning stuff. She's learning social interaction through cartoons and other things and other concepts. So I started asking, which is after our previous conversation, I think you mentioned this. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. And so I just started asking and just, and it was interesting to see her responses. Out of curiosity, have you noticed anything through your questions? Noticed anything in the way that she's behaving from cartoons because from my experience kids mimic what they see so yes. if something happens in a cartoon she'll do it yes do you ask her why she's doing those things yes 
What does she say? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I... Or because it's funny. Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> I do those things too, because I know the cartoon she's watching. So I use the same voices because it's something that I enjoy. And she loves that. Yeah. It's it's interesting how when we're younger, because of our either, well, I don't want to put an age to it, but lack of vocabulary or lack of experience expressing different behaviours through words, mm. I don't know is the easy answer. Mm. But we do know because otherwise we wouldn't do it. <laughs> it's a behavior that we've gained through experiences because that's what we learn uh, i will be publishing an article by the time this goes out it will be published um about the assumptions that we take with gaining knowledge and the tabula rasa and us not having knowledge at birth i would argue that we do and that we gain knowledge through experiences but if we've got the knowledge then we do know in in in, in quote marks uh, we do know we just can't articulate it. And they are two different types of knowledge, knowledge about and knowledge of. Um, that's that's another conversation. Uh, but that to me is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One, when you then look at those individuals that, that are learning different things from topics, I would then want to go, okay, what are the limitations of that? Because there's got to be a limitation of them just learning from cartoons or... Mm. And if we if we take the contrarian approach as scientists do, if they're only watching cartoons, how do they learn real life, real interaction sort of thing? Or is that teaching them something they shouldn't be learning? Yeah, exactly. They shouldn't be acting in that way or this way. Well, my argument against that argument <laughs> would be, well, don't they have to learn the wrong things to learn what the mm -hmm. right things are? This is something that I've seen <clears throat> in, so my sister's about five years younger than me. And my dad used to hate some of the TV my sister used to watch because it changed her language. It changed the way she behaved. And it wasn't the way that my dad wanted her to act. But she learned that actually mimicking what happens on the shows doesn't really work in real life because people don't like it. <laughs> So yeah, she she learned those lessons, but she needed to learn those lessons. And some of the things mm. from the show she still does. It's still part of her behavior and her characteristics because it's the experiences she had when she grew up. I think it's the same for everyone. But if we look at schools, if you blanket ban things or you blanket stop people from doing stuff, they can't make those mistakes. They can't make those errors because you haven't given them the opportunity to make those errors. So I, I wouldn't want to blanket ban things. So yes, there are limitations in the effectiveness of doing something and saying, hey, here's loads of opportunities. It might not be as effective in the short term, but we're not talking short term here. We're talking no. long term because that's what learning is. It's lifelong yeah. learning. Yeah. That's 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 me anyway. And yeah. If you do have any questions or comments, you can put them in the comment section below on YouTube or uh, I'm... I'm in Discord a lot and I'm debating about putting these uh, inside the Discord as well for people to move conversations forwards or move them into articles as well because there are so many threads in here. I'm like, I know we're talking about this in the in the podcast, but this is a thread that could be on its own. It could be a separate thing. <laughs> um, so I might, I might put it into Discord so we can sort of connect some of those threads together because especially these ones that divert uh, back episodes and things like that. Mm, definitely. I agree. So your your pop experience, we discussed mm. this briefly in the week. Yes. Explain, explain what you said to me on Tuesday, but again, now, um, anything else that's evolved throughout time? Yeah, so one of the big differences I saw in your pop versus my pop was the session design thing that I didn't really understand or didn't have expertise in. And I thought, oh, that's something that's very different between us. A lot of what we believe and do matches quite similarly, which makes sense considering the conversations we have. But there are subtle differences. Um, I'm still playing with curiosity. I'm not satisfied with that as a value. But I can't find another word yet. So I'm still kind of like playing with that, exploring the meaning of curiosity messing around with that going okay what do i actually mean 
there is something to the learning element. That's the thing I find interesting is learning. And so I'm like, okay, cool. But that's not, that still feels very empty hmm. and missing more. Um, so playing with that. But anyway, that's what we're saying. Around like practice design, I noticed that actually I do exactly what you do. <laughs> I have a warm up and then I go into a session. And then I kind of cool down slash warm up into the next session. And sometimes my actual sessions are, and they are often constrained. They are often like they have a a, a directed, a, it's a goal directed behavior. I am going in this direction. I'm completing this thing. I am setting up my Locana cards for X, Y, Z. I am um, finishing off some work for a client. I am uh, on Facebook replying to people and they lead into other kind of activities and they flow quite nicely into different sessions. And one's a, one is often a warm up for another. And then I have kind of a cool down period where I go away and I either spend time with Tori or do other things, which is a warm up for something else. And it's really interesting how I'm seeing those patterns because now I'm, I assume I am becoming attuned to all of the techniques that you know from the science and I'm like, oh, that is. And and as I was saying to you, so I did a, what was it? Was it a rate of percent? What is the thing that I did where I RPA. basically did way too much? The RPA, RPA is that it? Yeah. Rate, rate of perceived exertion. Yeah. So I went very heavily on D&D and socializing to see where my limits lie. Oh, max testing. Yeah. So I was max testing for the last couple of weeks. I found that now and I'm like, okay, cool. One, it was a brilliantly brilliantly intense session because my idea was I want to get better at DMing, at running sessions, because then I can be more efficient, which gives me back time. And I know my limits. So I found my limits and now that is influencing how I plan my D&D sessions because I've had this big intense session where I'm just like, okay, here is all that goes into it. Then I've been researching, then I've been doing more. And I'm now learning or have been learning what my limits are. And now I'm like, okay, cool. I can do this, 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 because these are my limits. I can run three campaigns at a time, uh, plus a mini online one for someone. But I want to work primarily with adults, primarily with people who have at least got some experience of playing D&D, because I don't really want to be going with lots of beginners. And so it's like, cool, that's where my current rate is so that's helped put that into a kind of an understanding and expertise in where my what i wish to do and how much social i want to do (laughs) Um, and it's kind of helped me and i'm i'm noticing that i'm now bringing my work back in heavier again as we're coming to the end of the holidays and people are starting to come back i'm like okay cool i'm gonna come in here doing warm-up sessions of work and then cool down sessions and it's really interesting just seeing that whole periodization yeah yeah seeing periodization just happening without knowing it's periodization yeah i think you're at the point where so when i went from my second year to third year at uni i decided i was going to drop one of my psychology modules for a strength and conditioning module and strength and conditioning is essentially becoming a PT, a personal trainer, but for high-performance athletes. And the strength and conditioning modules were so boring because it was all anatomy, physiology, biomechanics. And even though I liked those things, I liked the way it works, kinematics, kinetics, et cetera, of movement, it still didn't quite, yeah, that's it. That's what I want to be doing. And it wasn't until the there was a lecture about halfway through my third year. So I've done this transition from second year to third year, from psychology to essentially the body. Uh, and it wasn't until this lecture that hardly anyone turned up to. It was There was meant to be, I think, 40, 45 people in the room, and there were like seven, like six or seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, like no one turned up to it. Uh, it. It was called planning the program. Like, why do, why? Why would someone care about that? But it was a two-hour lecture about periodization. And when I listened to this lecture, I thought, hold up. This is basically calendar 
like calendar management. It's <laughs> basically what yeah. this thing is, right? Uh, and I I found this really interesting because I was quite particular with my time at the like with my time at the time because I was doing so many things. Like I was training in three different sports. I was coaching in four different academies whilst like doing the degree thing. Uh, so I, my my time was yeah my time was full. Whilst doing the degree thing, you know that that, that tiny little thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was well into my calendar at that point. And when I heard this periodization thing, I was like, oh, OK, but what I missed in that lecture, which I found, luckily, <laughs> I found in another lecture, which was to do with uh, physiology. I, I can't remember the module was called. It was it was a sports science module, which, again, went completely sideways. I, I took modules that went completely against the grain of my actual degree. <laughs> because I wanted to challenge myself. So I deliberately picked modules that I knew would be hard because I had no prior knowledge of it uh, because I wanted to push myself. And in in this separate lesson, I found out about supercompensation and tapering and all these different concepts of how the body works. And I saw that. I saw periodization. I thought, oh, these two things work together. That's how strength and conditioning is planned out for a pro athlete over the four years for the Olympic cycle, whatever it is, hold up a second. Why can't we do that? Why can't I train like a professional athlete and use this concept of periodization to manage myself? So I started doing that. And as soon as I started applying what I was learning through my degree to myself, becoming my own sports coach, essentially, I was periodizing my time. I was tapering. I was looking at supercompensation. I was measuring my load, uh, rate of perceived exertion. I was using practice design and the constraints-led approach for me inside of the way I would enact in my sessions, using goal-directed behavior. I was applying all this science and stuff into my life. And now I'm like, well, duh, it's obvious. But I was doing it before I knew all these words, all these topics and terms and concepts. And it wasn't until I recognized, I became attuned to the information. I became attuned to the affordances rather than the information because the information was already there. Um, but I became attuned to the affordances of these concepts that I could then specialize. I could then, I guess, to use more appropriate terms, I could then be more specific or sensitive to that information. And that therefore increases my expertise. And then I can start adjusting it in smaller ways that other people don't necessarily see as an affordance because they're not familiar enough with mm. the concepts. And I feel that's where you're at now. You've become familiar enough with the concept that you can go, hold up a second. If this could and this could cause this or leans into that, maybe I do this for a little bit longer and see how that works. And you can start sort of testing yourself. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's what was happening. Yeah. There was like, okay, cool. I'm tired. I usually would just stop being social. And I did this yesterday. Huh. Literally yesterday. I was like, oh, I'm really tired. I don't want to go out anywhere. I'm not going to do anything. And then there was an offer to come down and do Locana, which I'm kind of enjoying. I'm really enjoying it. Something that I can enjoy with my kids and enjoy socially on the side um, with other people, which is what I want to be doing. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's go test that. Let's go and see whether I am actually... I have reached, what is the term? It's not overexertion, because that's not quite right, but it, it's that when oh, it's non-functional overreaching. Overreaching, yeah, yeah. That's when it's beyond beneficial. And when there's actual, yeah. Yeah, non-functional, yeah. So non-functional overreaching. So I was like, okay, let's see. And it was interesting how it wasn't overreaching. And I was like, oh, I'm not actually as tired as I think I, I would, would be. I was like, that's fascinating. I thought I'd be dead this morning, but I'm not because I'm engaging in a stimulating conversation. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and we were talking about it before. Yes, I yeah, love And I was this. like, oh, shit, this is so cool. <laughs> so this is where I think the concept of supercompensation I'm, I'm going really deep into the weeds now um i i express this a little bit inside the patreon pop um uh, event so if you're a patreon listening then you can see the replay of that event but essentially this is going to be very simplified when you train if you start at arbitrary number of zero you obviously expend energy right you're, you're yeah. doing something so say you go um down a little bit say negative negative one 
super compensation means your body is now adapting to it. So, okay, we're going to go up by two. So we've gone from zero to negative one. Now we're at one, right? That super compensation is specific to an area inside of strength and conditioning. Typically that would be strength or power or muscular endurance. But when we're looking at cognitive and psychological aspects, well, now we can constrain environments. Look at using an ecological term here, an ecological niche. You can say, okay, inside of this environment, this social environment, I've hit my max load, the, the max yeah. testing for this ecological niche. And I'm going to super compensate there. I'm going to get better than I was so I can last longer in that the next time. When you yeah. change the context, you change the ecological niche, you change the environment that you're in. Now that baseline is at zero again because it's a different event. Mm -hmm. So you can now supercompensate. You can overreach in a new environment, which means you can overreach multiple times in a day without non-functional overreaching because you've context switched. And this to me is where the whole task switching thing shouldn't task switch, blah, 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 is frustrating. Because if you say, oh, I'm going to do a day of this editing thing, I'm, go I'm going to devote my day to editing. Well, now, because you're not context switching, that can be non-functional overreaching. So instead of which going why I've never like shifting it to a business perspective, which is why I've never understood batching content. Mm. Because it's just I can batch content. But I am functionally overreaching very quickly. Non-functionally overreaching. Non-functionally overreaching. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and that that is where knowing your load matters. Because mm. some people can batch it because they can do a whole day and it be fun functional. Yes. Some people yeah. can't because it's non-functional for them because they don't have the expertise. Their arbitrary baseline of zero is not at zero when you compare the two people. Because non-functional overreaching, using these arbitrary numbers that I'm talking about, we go from zero, negative one, because we've expended energy, but we start doing something again before we supercompensate to one. So we go from zero, negative one, maybe you get to zero, but then you go again. Well, now you're going down to negative two. And then when you go up to supercompensate, instead of supercompensating back to one, you're now at negative one. And then you go again. So say, for example, you have three editing sessions in a day instead of one. You do one session, you go from zero to negative one to one. You do three sessions, you go from zero to negative one, then to zero, then to negative two, then to negative one, now to negative three. And so, now that's that rate of just, you just push. And now you start going down. Mm. which means in order to get back to zero, you have to not do anything for a day or two days, three days, rest and recover. Mm. So instead of doing three editing sessions on one day, then not doing any editing for two days, you could just do an editing session each day. And then at the end of those three days, if you've done it a blocked one day and then two days, you go from zero to zero because <laughs> you've had to rest and recover. But if you've done it session, uh, sectioned, You've gone from zero to three. So what would you prefer to do? You batch it in one day and go from baseline zero to zero because you need it to rest and recover. Or you go from zero to three because you spread it out over three days. I think that's a no brainer. And this is how athletes train. This is why they spread out their load. This is why they periodize their sessions. Why don't we do this in the way that we manage our energy inside of work and school? Because the concept isn't taught to us. So we can't manipulate those elements hopefully this is making sense obviously this is audio i'm thinking of doing a video about this explaining this concept but yeah yeah it's i think i want to understand the theory now so i'm like oh do you have that in your vault um i don't have it expressed in a way that would make sense to someone that isn't me <laughs> cool I, I do post a couple of images inside the patreon event that i, I mentioned earlier so you can look at those cool. images yeah uh, that'd be then... useful to kind of because now i know what i'm doing <laughs> i want to i think we we spoke about this ages ago i have this much knowledge of it and i'm teetering on the edge so i want to just go what? <laughs> let's let's expand that a little bit so i'm not like oh <laughs> yeah i can the the image the image i'm imagining is the you know, you've got the cylinder and then you've got the balance board. That's yeah. what I imagine you on. You're sort of like putting your feet and then you're like going side to side, like wobbling. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, can I, can I, just, I need this to get bigger a little bit, please. 
you know, I'm, I'm I'm there with like two two square blocks just firmly stood there, and you're like, yeah, hold up, you. But I feel like that's where I'm at when I'm speaking with other individuals in free energy principle and maximum energy deficiency and those sort of theories. I'm like, hold up, give me a second right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions after we finish about papers and stuff to look at. Nice. Sounds good. Uh, right. So moving into the comment section, there's been some great comments um, coming in on YouTube. I've been I've been liking them, hearting them. Um but quite a few of them aren't things that we can expand on very easily. They're sort of mm. like they liked using the tool. They didn't like using that tool. They liked hearing this thing and they shared their thoughts on it. Um, but I got this comment from Dobos from a previous episode about social media. And they listed some points and I wanted to explore those points just a tad. The first one, the character count is way too small to write anything useful inside of one message. And that's referring to Twitter or X as it's now called. Yeah. So I agree and disagree. <laughs> I agree yeah. the character count is small. I agree it is too small to express some meaningful content, some meaningful conversations. But I think the constraint affords different ways of communicating information and the constraint forces constrains individuals ability to express information and i would argue if some people can't express information in that amount of characters then they don't have a deep enough understanding of what it is they're talking about or the level of expertise difference between you and the person you're speaking with is too great to be had with that constraint in other words, if I'm talking to someone that doesn't understand ecological dynamics or ecological psychology or the ecological approach in general, and they've asked me a question about it, I'm not going to explore many of the topics and concepts in an explanation because it will require added information not to be oversimplified. So the expertise gap there informs how I'm going to use the constraint to help me in that conversation. Mm. so that to me exposes some of the what i find some of the really good parts about twitter but it's when the constraint creates an issue that's where i think the conversation needs to go elsewhere what, what are your thoughts on that yeah <laughs> yeah i i am the exact same it's, it's that adage of ex if you can't explain things simply Simply, simply, et cetera, et cetera. That, that whole thing is like flawed in its case. It's like, yes, but, but. It depends who you're talking to. Yeah. And I think that that is the hard thing with like social media, public social media is having those conversations of like that type mm. is much harder to do in tiny little snippets. And I think that was something that when I was doing social media, I really struggled with hmm. and still do to a certain degree, which is why I like having deep conversations with people. Like, something that you can't have deep conversations with people on Twitter. You can't, not easily, but. Again, I think, I think it depends who you're speaking to. Yeah. Because a lot of the interactions I have with Twitter, I don't know how many people, I keep calling it Twitter. I'm going to call it Twitter because it's easier. Um, <laughs> But a lot of the interactions I have with people on Twitter in the academic space inside of my educational science list, they are extremely deep. Like we are talking yeah. about comparing three fundamentally different philosophical approaches that are rooted in centuries of discussion. And that conversation can be conveyed in a couple of sentences with some very specific terms and words used with con um, combined meaning behind those words and terms. So that is extremely dense. But that is with two people that have similar levels of expertise in the conversation topic. It's where you have varying levels of expertise in a conversation that I see friction points happen. What's worrying to me is when people think they have expertise in a topic of conversation, they share potential 
thoughts, points, topics about their perceived level of expertise. I don't want to say Dunning-Kruger effect because I don't think that's applicable here, um, but it's somewhat related. And then instead of having a counter argument or a point to go against it, they then use the emotional argument of I, you're attacking them or I'm attacking you or you're attacking each other or this is just argument for argument's sake. Yes. There are lots of examples of that all over Twitter from literally every span of the world. And it's even in academia. Like academia even has this problem. That's what the Harvard scandal is all about with Francesca Gino. She basically was accused of making making things up. And instead of having a counter argument or a rebuttal or publishing something to say, actually, I disagree with you, she sued them. <laughs> like, why, why can't you just have a discussion about this? Her argument is, oh, money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, great. But when you look at the science, someone said, I disagree with you. And you said, I'm going to sue you. I don't get the logic. <laughs> okay i'll rephrase that i do get the logic i don't agree with the logic um so yeah that's a very diverse um conversation from the original point which was about character count on twitter or x <laughs> but that's the way i see the character count it's a constraint that affords opportunities and the opportunities of behavior is what i would love to see mm. that's why i love twitter a lot of people say oh twitter's this twitter's that twitter's toxic no it's not you are perceiving Twitter as toxic because you're not looking deep enough into the conversation, the relationship between the two individuals or three multiple individuals in the conversation. I would see that as a problem with your interpretation of the conversation rather than mm. the conversation itself, because I see very rarely see toxic conversation. I see a point that could be perceived as emotionally driven. Yes, everything's emotionally driven, but it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't inherently come with a toxic view. Even with politicians, you can say uh, inside the education uh, field at the moment, Gillian, uh, who's the education secretary in the UK, um, she posts something and you're going to get loads of people saying, you should be doing this, you should be solving this, you should be solving that. And it's emotionally driven from people not getting the right wages as teachers. Yes, you could see that as, okay, Gillian is doing things wrong or not doing things well enough for these people, or these people are arguing against them and fighting for freedom against power, whatever you want to talk about with the interpretation. But at the end of the day, it's a person that's trying to do something and people that want her to do something else. Mm. So how do we have a conversation about that? And those are the points missed on Twitter yeah. and X. Okay. Um, Point two, even if you write any many messages, there's a chance that people don't see them or see them out of context from the earlier messages. This is what exactly what you were just saying. <laughs> exactly the point. You only see half of it, miss the context, and then... Mm -hmm. I feel that this is not a problem that can be solved by tech or no. by a device. No, it's it's human. Yeah, I think they they user errors. I think their the lack of skill in the public to be diligent enough to find the context mm -hmm. is the issue, not the tech yeah. itself. No, the tech's fine. There's nothing wrong with the tech. Mm. <laughs> the tech has threads. You pull up, see the rest of the context. Come on. Mm. And I think what would be useful as a cultural move or cultural shift is that instead of assuming the person has the full context when you read their response confirm that and this comes from motivational interviewing yeah instead of assuming what you think they mean confirm what they mean with them so yeah. instead of saying oh you're wrong because blah 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 or, i disagree with you because blah 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 say do you mean this from what they said here or is your meaning the same as this meaning? And this is what I do in my conversations all the time. And I actually, I actually find kind of ironically that that is where people stop. That's where people stop responding. Mm. Because that then is me arguing with them with the words that they've choose, chosen to use. 
And if you don't have an argument against yourself, you don't understand what it is that you're talking about well enough. Mm. And that's where people start to get emotional. That's the whole point of motivational interviewing is to dive in deep at the emotional points, the emotional triggers, the, the rooted beliefs that you hold. And that's what I wish other people would do as a culture, be psychologically safe to say, okay, I assume you mean this from this. Have you thought about it? Like, have you used this quote or thought about it from this perspective, from this lens, or is it just that one? And that to me is being empathetic with other, other people just in general. Mm. How do we do that? I think we just need to do it. <laughs> you, you can't tell people to do something if you're not doing it yourself. And this yeah. is where inside of my pot, behavioral integrity. If you're going to tell someone to be empathetic with people, or if you're going to tell someone that, oh yeah, we need to uh, understand what other people are coming from. We need to understand perspectives. Then actually understand perspectives. Go into the conversation. Don't just respond once, once or twice and then expect that to be good enough because you can't send one or two messages with a couple of mess uh, with a couple of words and then expect to understand their perspective or the meaning behind the conversation or the point or the topic that they're making. Mm. And I would imagine everyone can think of multiple examples from all different fields where someone has made an assumption and the assumption was built on a misunderstanding of communication. Mm. Happens all of us. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Because I feel mm. like I'm just sitting here ranting. <laughs> no, I just agree with you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Okay, we'll move on to point three then. Uh, <laughs> all answers to uh, all answers to one tweet are now the source of new answers that can themselves have answers that are without connection to other answers. I'm going to tie this in with the next couple because I think these are all related. That yes. means one tweet with hundreds of answers is already fractured into hundreds of conversations. If these hundreds of answers get tens of answers, then you have thousands of conversations, um, which means it can be impossible to follow the conversations and arguments all the way back to the original person. This, to me, emphasizes the butterfly effect, which is ingrained inside complexity theory, which is part of dynamical systems, which I think is a good thing. Yes. I'm reading all that going, yes, good. Yes, <laughs> good. Yes, good. And I think it goes back to that idea of like being productive and not spending time online and wasting time listening to others' opinions. And I'm like, but to me, that's the most interesting. Like seeing diverging opinions and going, oh, that's interesting. I see that. Oh, is that what you mean? Or is that what you mean? And like asking those those questions of like, like that is part of what my pop is and kind of surmises that curiosity word that I'm still not quite happy with. But that that surmises like I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't see. OK, cool. I Oh, that's interesting. Like one of the things that I'm really finding interesting now is the environment. I have been in a solopreneur like other business owner environment online business owner environment for a long time nearly 10 years you're old yeah all right we've gathered that <laughs> and there are probably listeners that are older than that and they're like oh, excuse me <laughs> yeah um and it's been really interesting to step away from that i guess from context i have been on online as in actually online social media for maybe four years, maybe. I think it's three pushing four. All right, yeah, you are. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just for context. <laughs> I do feel old, man. Goes my back. Um, yeah. <laughs> I remember your first video that I saw. Oh, first video that I saw. Yeah. I was going to say first video. That, that is, that's on your Notion one. It was one of your Notion ones in the uh, Facebook group. Oh, wow. I remember seeing your first video. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember it being like, a, I think it's like, this is a Notion page or it's like a really simple one. I think. Yeah. I, I would have to look back at the channel, but yeah, it's it's been a while. It's, it's mildly ironic that I'm three, four years down the line and I'm still saying the same thing I started with is contribute to the conversation. 
<laughs> contribute to the conversation is what I started my channel based and built around because the conversation is where the majority of beneficial and effective learning comes from. But if you're not involved in the conversation, you can't engage in the education that it, it encompasses. And that's why I'm so, I don't want to say passionate because I don't think it encompasses the full range of emotions about the discord and about the community that I engage in. And I don't yeah. say community by, oh, it's the Discord community. No, it's everyone I engage in, engage with. That's the Discord for Obsidian, for Morgan, for myself, and Colin Samir, and the other Discords I'm engaged in, as well as the conversations on Twitter. Like They are part of what I would class as my community, my social community, my ecological niche, if you will, of conversation. I think, I think that's something, so from a business perspective, for so long I've been told by experts um not to have a community because the assumption is i wouldn't be able to keep up with it and the more i'm exploring this and i'm like mm, i do struggle with lots of engagement but that was the assumption i had up until recently when i realized how much engagement i can actually deal with and it's now where i'm like okay cool okay cool community interesting because that is where I feel that I'm heading is to either create or be part of a bigger part of perhaps yours community and like actually perhaps a business focused orientation of that. And I'm like, that's so interesting. That's a perfect example of where you can use a max rep test. Yeah. How do you max rep test being involved in a community? spend a day spend an hour spend a week involved actively involved in a community or what i would do because this is less of a rep thing um because it's less of one session it's more of a continued involvement so this is where you would do inside of um periodization you'd call it a micro cycle which in in physical stuff that's normally like two to four weeks but you would engage in a type of training for a length of time, two to four weeks, a microcycle, and see how your body, or you in this case, because we're engaged in cognitive as well, react to that. So I'm going to engage myself in that community for a week, for two weeks, and see how I react to that. What are good, what are bad, what work, what doesn't work, what drains me, what invigorates me, because maybe you can sit there for like two hours responding to loads and loads of messages. And then you look at the clock and go, wow, it's been two hours. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can engage in this. Or maybe you look at the, the threads and go, I really don't care about what you're talking about. I'm going to leave. Yep. Both of those are beneficial, especially for engaging in community. And of course, you're always welcome, John, in, in the community. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. And th this is something that I've learned inside of Discord which is why I spend so much of my time inside of Discord and not necessarily pushing people towards Discord, but encouraging people to go to Discord because in there, you can link between videos, between articles, and between past and present and future conversations all in one place and being able to tag, mention, search, all of these sorts of things in a conversation, whereas Twitter X can get lost. Threads do get overwhelming and it's not as easy to find things back on twitter as it is in discord especially especially the way that i've set out my discord with the forums you can just browse through the forums like oh yeah that's the thread i want or you can look at the tag and go, okay that's the type of conversation i'm looking for right now am i looking for a question am i looking for a discussion and as discussions evolve i would imagine discussion style tabs will come in are we talking about educational systems here are we talking about philosophies here are we talking about periodization here like those sorts of types of conversation types of discussions so if you want to go in and be like hey i want to talk about business i want to talk about learning online learning content creation maybe that becomes a tagged thread inside of discussions yeah and you can't do that on most social media platforms you'd need a community platform to do that and discord's free it's accessible to everyone and you can do all the things you'd really need to do. You've got threads. And I do, I, I mean, one thing I 
did find overwhelming with what I do find overwhelming with Discord is all the message messages, 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 messages. However, with these kind of like more forum based kind of threads that I enjoy a lot because I'm like, I can just go in, I'm just looking at yours, like Obsidian and Boarding Update. Cool, school has failed you. Cool, sitting on the fence. Like, I can, it feels more like um, a bulletin board, which you probably. Please say you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know okay, what a good. Board is. I thought I'd be really old then. No, no, no. I, I know what a bulletin board is. Well, think about it. My education has been about education, so I've gone oh, yeah, all the way point. back to like the eighteen hundreds and how they That's used this true. education there. So, yeah. If I, so, if I didn't know what a bulletin board is, I'd like fish slap myself. <laughs> yeah. So it, it and it's very, very much like the traditional forums, which is where I started, and I love communities like that. Mm. That's why I've tried to emphasize the use of forums inside of my Discord. Yes, I have. So I have a couple of forums that are restricted on what can be added, such as YouTube yeah. channel and the event recaps, because obviously I don't want everyone posting random stuff in there. <laughs> um, but I do have the discussion in the question forums where people can bring in any discussion topic that's interesting to explore. But sometimes, as uh, you'll see in the general chat, it a question or a point or a topic or a statement isn't it doesn't need an entire thread yeah uh, and that's the combining those two things together i just think is really nice and having stages so for those unfamiliar i do a stage every friday one uh, so it's bi-weekly one is an open open week then it's a patreon week then it's an open week and a patreon week so it goes back and forth um and having those stages one gives me a chance to present what's happened in the community, kind of like a recap of conversations that's happened, but also an opportunity for other people to talk and engage in the conversation at a time, rather than it being all asynchronistic. Everyone can sort of come together and be like, okay, let's let's all like ground our ideas together and have a chat. As it grows, maybe that turns into more than once a week, uh, or maybe we have more than one person talking on stage. But again, that that's action and perception coupled together yeah yeah it's it's really good it, it's getting my like oh it's getting my all yeah ooh. right nice so uh with that uh i think we can close out the episode for today so thanks for listening bye